to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. You can call me Gregory. And welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. I hope you've been doing great. It is Halloween evening, and I thought it'd only be appropriate to talk about my childhood recollections of this hallowed day, this All Hallows Eve, as we used to call it. That's the original origin of Halloween, at least in the Catholic Christian context of the last 2,000 years. Originally, it was a Celtic, um, it was a Celtic day. I think, I think they used to call it Halloween, and uh, they used to do a lot of child sacrifices on this day. That's where we get the origin of jack-o'-lantern, if I'm not mistaken, is that they used to melt the, melt the flesh of the sacrificed children and then put them in pumpkins to ward off the evil spirits. But I could be completely wrong. Before we begin, I wanted to remind you guys that uh, you're awesome. And thank you very much for listening to these, this confession series. We're almost at 30 episodes. It's so hard to believe. I started this, I believe, in January of this year, of 2017. It's amazing that I have 30 episodes on this, and I appreciate all the feedback. So I did a special uh, edition uh, in May when I when I had my anniversary edition, when it, when it was May 4th. That's, uh, that was 26 years I've kept my weight off. And I thought Halloween, given that it's it's come around the corner, that I would do uh, an episode on just recollecting or reminiscing on some of the my, my memories of Halloween as a child. And of course, it has to do with eating, because it seems like everything I have to do has to do with eating. Well, Let's just say that Halloween is a binge eater's dream, especially when you're a child. I should also say it's like the ideal cover to conceal your eating addiction because think about it. I mean, there's only a few days where you are allowed a license to overeat or to to binge eat, to overindulge. That would be Thanksgiving and then Super Bowl. You know, it seems like a Super Bowl. I wouldn't even say Christmas. I think I think it's more of Thanksgiving and Super Bowl. But Halloween is one of those days where it's like, what's the point of trick-or-treating if it's not to get the candy and eventually overindulge in the candy and the candy. So it's like one of those perfect days that you can conceal your eating addiction. And it's just part and parcel of the actual day. And it'd be like anathema to the essence of Halloween if we weren't to consume an inordinate amount of candy. But you know, it, it's funny because I think it, there's certain elements of Halloween that have not changed, and of course, the dressing up has not changed. But certainly, in the trick or treating, but I mean, I think certain aspects of it have changed. Like I, I told my my high school students today, it's like I've noticed this trend. There's a lot of trends I've noticed in Halloween, but one of them is like with high school kids when they knock on your door. Lots of times they don't even say trick or treat. No, they just they just shove out the bag, the pillowcase of the candy and expect you to give it to them. And then I asked them today in class, I'm like, so what is the amount of candy you expect to receive from, from a house so you, so you would not be insulted? And a lot of the kids were saying five. I'm like, five pieces? That's insane. And people run out of candy. Do you not know how expensive candy is? Five pieces is way too much. But some of the tendencies I've noticed in Halloween, how they've changed since I was a child, but even like in 10 years, it's like we almost treat Halloween like it's Christmas and that we decorate our lawns with Halloween accoutrement, like the lights, right? We have orange lights. And then we buy like inflatable scary spiders or inflatable corpses or the coffins. And it's interesting because 
five, 10 years ago, this was a non-existent. People didn't decorate their lawns for Halloween. It was very rare unless you had like a haunted house. Maybe someone in the neighborhood had, had the haunted house. But now you see so many houses decorating and beforehand it was just like a jack-o'-lantern on the porch and that's pretty much it. But now people are going all out. And I was wondering, I was trying to figure out like, why is this? Why is Halloween like the new Christmas, the neo-Christmas, the pre-Christmas Christmas? And it's like, do we just, uh, I mean, like, why now? That, that I guess that's the bigger question, because Halloween's been around in its existence for some time now, at least decades in America. But why in the last five to 10 years are we turning it into like a Christmas? And I don't know if it has to do with the fact that we are more in a post-Christian society now, and not to say that there aren't Christians, of course, around, but it seems like as a whole... Certainly in our politics, you can't bring up religion. You can't bring up Jesus and all that. So perhaps now that we're in a post-Christian society, uh, the atheists feel like, well, they need to have their own holiday. And so they're turning Halloween into a Christmas, right? Because they can't celebrate Christmas, even though people celebrate Christmas in the most secular way with Santa Claus and whatnot. But maybe they need to have their own Halloween, their own holy day. And so they've turned it into, they've aggrandized Halloween into what it is now. Maybe because of just the, the, the culture that we're in, we're more preoccupied with the occult. I don't know exactly what it is. I, I do know that 5, 10, 15 years ago, probably more like 15 to 20 years ago, when kids and even tweens and high school kids would dress up for Halloween, it was kind of innocuous things like you were Casper, you get a sheet over your head and put some holes in it, or you were like a pirate or something like that. Now it's like sexy nurse, sexy corpse, sexy zombie. It's like, and, and, and I can see why schools prohibit kids from dressing up on Halloween, like our school does and many schools do, because it's just you're opening a Pandora's box. This isn't the 1960s America where you wouldn't have to worry about that as much. But it, I don't know. I just I just found that interesting that in some aspects of Halloween have changed and then other aspects have not. And what I've noticed is like how it's really conflagrated now. It's really blown up to almost rival Christmas in some ways in terms of the, the decorations and the lights. And, and of course, it'll never catch up in terms of music to Christmas. But these are just some tendencies I've noticed. Okay, let's go back to my youth here. So I do have some vivid images of Halloween. Most of them are not too happy, which kind of stays alive with most of my memories from my childhood. And in general, the Luna family, we didn't celebrate Halloween. It was, of course, we went trick-or-treating. My parents, like, you want to go trick-or-treating? You go trick-or-treating. But in terms of like, it was like no parties. We didn't have any family in Houston growing up because my family, of course, was from Mexico. And so all the relatives were back in Mexico. And I don't remember us having any like family parties or like, their friends having Halloween parties. We didn't have any traditional bobbing for apples or no trips to the fall carnivals or pumpkin patches or anything that you see nowadays. Uh, you know, they were immigrants, you know, in Mexico, they have Dia de los Muertos, which is All Souls Day. But the American version of Halloween maybe left them a little perplexed and they were like, uh, you go, go, you go, drink or treat them. I, I don't know. what So I, I do remember, I don't remember costumes I wore when I was a little kid. I do remember going with my older brothers and I would just follow along with their friends. 
And but when I got older, I do remember. Well, I should I should go back. I do remember my brother's friends stealing my candy. And, you know, those orange, plastic orange buckets, those same ones we use today. It's probably the same buckets we've had since the beginning of time. But uh, I was really mad. I was pissed off. Because, like, you don't take candy away from a young kid, especially one whose mission is to accumulate and consume as much candy as possible. Because, I mean, even at this point, eight, nine, ten years old, I was already gaining a lot of weight. And, and, and I was definitely eating my emotions. I was certainly eating my my emotions. So... Typically, though, when I went door to door, my 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 recollections, and again, this was thirty five years ago, but my parents would typically uh, confiscate my candy when I got home. So I kind of knew I need to eat as much of this crap as possible. And like all kids, I looked forward to Halloween, and it wasn't so much for dressing up; it was just so much for oh, I get to eat candy. And so I used to eat candy while I was going door to door. And uh, I was like doing the best Augustus group from Willy Wonka, the original Willy Wonka, just shoveling down chocolate. You know that scene where he's getting interviewed because he wins the first golden ticket. He's just eating and I got to have the chocolate. And then the mom's like, now, now Augustus. And so I would just like go door to door knocking on it with just with, with a mouthload of candy. Oh, trick or treat. I was like, just melted chocolate coming out of my mouth. And it was important because I had to get as much chocolate as possible. So I would get home and I would dump all the candy on the ground. And, you know, back then in the 80s, we had this worry that there was some serial killer, craze killer who was using syringes and injecting arsenic or cyanide into the candy. And the funny thing is if you, if you know, all of you have heard of this legend, and it is an urban legend, if you do any research on it, it's completely unprecedented. There's no grounds that this this ever happened. Some maniac was injecting uh, candy into a sort of a poison into a candy using a syringe. Now, you know, thinking about it though, probably wouldn't be that hard. If you got a very small gauge needle, like a 23 and you got some arsenic, you could probably inject it through the wrapper right into the Snickers and no kid would know, but definitely don't, no ideas. Don't get the, don't get the bad idea. Don't get the wrong idea here. But I'd put it on the ground, and I was definitely a chocolate kid. I was not into nerds. Nerds were big in the 80s. But in general, like the the Skittles, the Jolly Ranchers, the the all the flavors, the Starbursts, the um, Lifesavers, just all the sugar-based candies, never into it. I was born into the chocolate ones, even now. And so what I would do is I'd separate them out that night and then I would take them to school. My mom would let me take them to school and I would just trade them with other kids to see who, because there are a lot of kids who have had like the sugar ones. So I only kept the true legit bona fide candy. So after my, after separating them out, my mom would essentially hide it. Okay. She would just You'd be like, Albert, you get to have two pieces. They'd be, Mom, I want the candy. You get to have two pieces. And so she would hide the candy. Now, as I mentioned in episode eight of The Locked Cabinet, hiding food was not a deterrent for me at all. I wasn't like, okay, I guess I'm just going to give up. I mean, if anything, from any of these episodes, especially dealing with my youth, <laughs> I was pretty uh, I was pretty astute and I had a lot of moxie and gumption of trying to figure out how I wanted to get some food. I mean, for Christ's sake, I went to to work at a convenience store for free so I could get candy. And I did the same thing at Astroworld at the amusement park one, if you listen to that one. So my mom hiding the candy wasn't going to dissuade me. And then there's a couple of reasons. My mom was not like the best 
pirate circa 17th century in the Caribbean hiding the booty in some obscure island like Tortuga or something like that. She did not hide stuff well. And so literally the next morning, it would take me like five minutes to find where she put the candy. And eventually, you know, if you search a house enough, you're eventually going to find something that's hidden unless your parents are very crafty. And my mom was not crafty at all. I mean, she did find all my empty pizza cartons. Go back to episode eight that I would, when I ordered pizza and binging on the pizza and I would throw away the cartons behind the washing machine because I knew if I put it in the trash can, she would see it. So I would find the candy and I would consume it all, of course. And at that point, I would just get the wrappers and put them in a plastic bag and then put the plastic bag in the trash can so she wouldn't see the wrappers. See, I wasn't, I wasn't the, the most stupid kid or the stupidest kid. I kind of, you know, I kind of knew how to, how to get around these things. And I don't know. I don't, I don't remember my mom at the time putting the, the, the candy in the locked cabinet. Maybe because she knew I was already breaking into it at this point, but she would just hide it. And so the thing was, she never asked, and I never asked for the candy the next day. Because why would I do that? You know, it it doesn't make much sense for me to do that. So it's kind of like, I don't ask. So I hope she forgets. So I hope she forgets to that the candy's even there. And my mom was really, you know, preoccupied with depression and anxiety. And so I, I, if I didn't ask her the next day, you will, mom, mom, can I have my two pieces of candy? She'd be, she wouldn't even remember that she hid the candy. So I would consume all the candy and then not ask her about it. Also, because I was on to my next, my next stash. It's kind of like a narcissist who's always seeking a new person to tap into their narcissistic supply once they've exhausted the supply of one person or that person's figured them out. They got to find a new person to, to schmooze over and, and deceive and beguile. I was on the prowl for my next, my next narcissistic supply, my next rapid consumption of junk food. And so honestly, Halloween to me was like a one day gigantic candy binge fest or a 24 hour binge fest. Whatever I didn't eat that night going door to door, I knew I was going to get the stash the next day. My mom didn't ask. Maybe she knew, but she just wasn't into confrontation. And I asked her, why did you eat all the candy? She didn't want to ask me. And so we just didn't really deal with it. We didn't deal with it. So am I much different than a lot of other kids on Halloween who want to eat a lot of food? Let's find out. I was watching season two of Stranger Things, and I I really enjoyed the show, uh, the first season. And I've watched the first three episodes so far as of Halloween of the second season. And I'm not, I think the show's okay, but, but the, I think the main reason I love Stranger Things is because I was their age in that year. So they're about, I would say, oh, they're middle school, so maybe they're a little older. Now it's in 1984, so I was 10 years old in 1984. And I think these kids are probably 11 or 12. But definitely watching it is is very nostalgic. And the reason I bring up Stranger Things is because in the second episode, they go trick-or-treating, right? And so, you know, their whole their whole shtick is to get as much candy as possible. And so I start thinking, it's like, am, am I the typical kid for Halloween? I mean, every kid wants to accumulate as much candy as possible and eat it in as much short amount of time as possible. So... I don't think I'm that I was that different than other kids. But I think our motivations were were different. I think that 
to them, if they were to eat too much candy because they have like a normal feedback loop, a feedback system, they probably eat like five pieces of candy, maybe 10, maybe 15. And to them, that's like over-consuming. For a binge eater, a binge eater's view of, of too much candy or over-consuming is vastly different than the typical person. I mean, I could literally back then get four family size bags of whatever candy. And I was a big fan of peanut butter cups, Reese's Pieces, Butterfinger, not a big fan. Heath, I liked Heath. Again, I like that. And I, I don't like caramel and I don't like nuts. Okay. This isn't like Albert's uh, candy review here, but I'm not a big fan of caramel and nuts together. So I don't, I've never like Snickers, certainly not Rolos. I, they just roll into the trash can. I was more into the peanut butter ones. But I could easily eat four family sized bags of peanut butter cups back then with without any problem. And I don't I don't think most kids would do that or even feel the need to do it. Because again, like with gambling or sex addictions or any of these issues with addiction, you're feeding, you're trying to feed something. So you're gonna go way too drastic and way too uh aberrant or deviate from the typical way that a typical person would do it. So for example, a, a person who doesn't have an issue with drinking, we could drink a glass of wine and just be completely satisfied with the slight buzz. Or if you're Albert, I literally can get drunk on one glass of wine. I'm such a lightweight. I'm a horrible lightweight. I mean, there's been times where I've had one glass of wine and my mom's had to drive me back when she comes and visits. But some people with alcohol, with, with alcohol issues can't. They got to drink a bottle, a glass of wine, a bottle of wine a day or multiple shots. So it, it's kind of the same thing in that we're eating to block the psychological pain that we have, whatever's causing that. It could be abuse or neglectful parents or you saw a horrible car accident as a child. And binging, of course, gives you a momentary reprieve, a respite from whatever's haunting you, just similar to the way that the reason cutters cut. Right? And it gives you a little reprieve when you're eating until the physical pain from all the binge eating reminds you, oh God, this is horrible. And then you, of course, feel like you're an utter failure and how horrible you are for consuming all this food, which of course that shame fuels the next binge. So rinse, lather, repeat. But the reason I bring up Stranger Things is because I think it's a very nostalgic show and it's a view of the video games and it's view of uh, the way just the school is decorated and the TV shows. Of course, I, I think they intentionally do that so the the the, the parents could get it because you know, it's all about ratings, even though Netflix doesn't reveal its ratings. I mean, it, it's going to trap the kids because the show's about kids of different ages. Notice they have the middle school calls and the kids and then they have the love triangle with the high school girl and the two guys. And of course, they have Winona Ryder, and everyone in their forties knows who's who Winona Ryder is. They have a uh, an, an affinity to her, and so they they hook in the adults with all the eighties nostalgia because they know that we were kids during that time. But aside from that, I think the show is very entertaining. So let's talk about my child. The last thing I want to talk about is my eldest son. I've mentioned in the previous episode called The Stocky Son that my son's a little overweight. And Halloween, it's, it's a sad time. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm pretty honest with you. Uh, today's a kind of a sad day because I don't get to see my kids for Halloween anymore. And I'd mentioned in the episode Food is My Mistress that I am, I'm divorced. And so unless Halloween falls on a day that I have my kids during the week, I don't get to see my kids for Halloween. The ex-wife... 
um, has them and, and it is, uh, doesn't let me see them for Halloween, but I, I do have some memories of Halloween and, and before the, the divorce and my eldest son was, we, we used to go trick or treating with him and then my daughter who's now uh, four and we would go trick or treating and they would dress up and then we would get all the candy. And the way, the way I did it was I would give them a few pieces that night and then I would tell them that we would put the candy away because you would get a tummy ache if you ate all of it in one night. But, but the, the, the way I would impart the knowledge was, let's put it away, and then you get a few pieces every day, and that way it's going to last for several weeks. And I try to teach them this every time we, we go eat out or anytime we get them a cookie. I said, look, if you can eat this entire cookie right now, but then the, you won't have the cookie again. Or you can eat half the cookie and then eat the rest of it tomorrow. And I think I'm in, I think the kids understand that. And then they pick the second one. I don't know if they're just trying to please me or they understand at their very young age that doing so, uh, separating out the candy makes more sense because they get to enjoy it now. I, I don't know. I, I could be completely wrong. Maybe a good parenting tip is just to let your kids eat, eat, eat as much candy as possible. I, I, who, who's to say, I mean, I can't say I am the perfect parent at all, but that, that's how we used to do it. So I'd be interested to see how you approach Halloween with your kids and how you deal with the candy and how much they get to have. I'd like to think that my draconian measure of only giving them a couple of pieces. And I, I think Halloween, I would give them like five or six. It wasn't, I was just like, okay, let's dump out all the candy and just pick five or six of your favorite pieces and you can eat them. And then I'd space out the rest. But I'm, I'm hoping that my draconian measure of, of limiting the candy to six pieces wouldn't lead them to binge eat later on. But as I mentioned in The Stocky Son, I'm full of self-doubt as to what to do because he is stocky and I don't, he doesn't know about my eating history. He doesn't know that daddy used to be overweight. He doesn't know any of these things. And I don't want him really to know these things. I don't want him to know that at all. I want him to have a healthy, normal relationship with food. And so I essentially let him eat whatever, but at the same time, he is stocky. And if I let him eat pizza when he wants pizza or chips when he wants chips, I don't know if I'm really helping him. But at the same time, I don't want to tell him food, oh, you need to watch what you eat. You're going to get overweight. I think that's a horrible thing to do too. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of drawn in that. And, th- and that's the same thing for Halloween. Had, had I, you know, had I have them for Halloween, had, had I had them for Halloween, but I don't. So I, that's really all I have to talk about with, with Halloween. Halloween, not the not a lot of vivid memories. I just and, and this this is very typical of me in that so many of my memories from childhood revolve around food. I don't remember any memories of high school Halloween. I certainly didn't go to any Halloween parties because I was not popular. You can go back to the opposite sex episode for that or even in college. But in elementary school, all my memories have to do with just eating a lot of candy, eating while we're trick-or-treating and then afterwards and then fighting on the food. And it's kind of sad because I don't have any memories of just Halloween for Halloween's sake. Uh, my, my life has been weight-centric and food-centric. And I think that's pretty sad in some regards. But please post a review for Confessions of an Obese Child and let your friends know about it, especially if they were overweight as a child, of course, or they have overweight children. And then if you can, go listen to NPE Radio and uh, post a review there. I would really appreciate it a lot. Guys, until next time, I will probably do the next episode around Thanksgiving. So take care. God bless. Bye-bye.
thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.